Amen, Blueprint family. How are you? You know, I don't want to take it for granted that while the songs are being sung and while we heard the scriptures, thank you. I remember a time when, you know, it would fall on deaf ears. I'd be in a church service and I couldn't understand why people were singing and even the words or even the sermon text or verses in the Bible. And really, we take it for granted, but it's a miracle to be able to hear, to be able to understand. And so let's pray for some help, definitely needed. Our text is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Let's go before the throne of grace. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for bringing us from death to life. Lord, and it's a mystery. How did we get from death to life? How did we get to rejoice in songs that some written hundreds of years ago? Songs that don't point to us and what we get, but points to him and you and what you accomplished on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray as we look at this text today, as it's just beautiful just to read it. I wish you could just almost read it and sit down, but I want to take for granted, Lord, although what seems clear only by your grace may seem muddy, and that's why we come together. You use broken vessels and cracked pots to clarify your truth, that, <laughs> that we get the opportunity to clarify your truth, but you give us grace to do it. So, Lord, help us as a body to grow in the gospel in the context of our family while we are on mission. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. Amen, you may be seated. So, our text begins with, and you were dead. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. You know, Ephesians is a beautiful picture of what happened to us. You notice when it says you were dead, Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians, basically letting them know this is what happened to you. For a little backdrop, if you want to understand kind of Ephesians, you can see it in Acts chapter 19 is where Paul first goes on a missionary journey to Ephesus. Chapter 20 is when we see Paul about to exit Ephesus and he gets prophesied that he's not going to Return. In fact, that he'll be killed wherever he's going next in Rome. But Paul wasn't sad because he said, when I was here, I did not avoid giving you the whole plan of God. The whole plan. Not half of it. Not just the good stuff. But I gave you the whole redemptive plan of God. And that's what we see here in Ephesians. You know, when I see it, it's like... What happened to us, those who know we were dead? And I know some of us may not have had near-death experiences, but I did. Um, I grew up in St. Louis in a drug and gang culture of St. Louis. And at 16 years old, we were in a conflict, street stuff, foolishness. But back then, that's what I lived for. And I remember one night we were going to take care of some business. But where we were going, they were prepared. And all you heard once we got on this one street was gunshots. 
So we ran. But there was a problem. I got hit. And I fell to the ground. And after that, I don't know what happened. All I know is that I woke up in a hospital with tubes down my nose, tubes in other places. And I could, I was like, what happened? I think that's the picture we see here in Ephesians. And I know you say, well, man, this dead, is it like you were dead? I think it's even more serious dead. And we'll look at this in the text. I didn't realize what happened to me. I had to ask after the fact, what happened? <laughs> because when that happened, I was laying on the concrete and I didn't know what happened. Well, I was told that a guy, because there wasn't no cell phones, all my friends ran. Some ran to my house to tell my brothers and sisters, but somebody picked me up and carried me off of the street where if I would have laid there where enemy territory was, God knows what would have happened. But somebody I didn't know carried me to another location. Then somebody called the ambulance. And then the ambulance came. And then the doctors did their thing. But all of this I did not know. I was just a recipient. And I think we see this here. But even on a deeper scale. Here we're going to deal with how do we go from death to life from useless to useful, from divine judgment to justify. And so we have three things as I broke down this text. One is, what is the problem that we see? The problem with us. There was a problem. This problem is obvious that we were dead, but not only were we dead, we were devious, destructive, on our way to being destroyed. I know it sounds dark, and I know we want to, we'll get to some hallelujah, but this is the reality. And all of this was because, not because of our cultural condition, or because I lived in the hood, or because you lived wherever you lived, or because whatever the conditions of your life were, the reality was that we were apart from Christ. Second thing, and that we'll find this in uh, verses 1 through 3, we'll chop that up. Then... Second point is the power toward us, demonstrated in Christ. What was the power towards us that would take us lifeless and dead, full of dead works, to useful to the master, as we say, his workmanship? We'll find that in, in verses 4 through 6. And then finally, we'll close with God's plan in and through us. See, it's one thing when we think about the gospel. It's not simply just, okay, God, save me so that I can have a better and more abundant life, so I can get my head on straight to make more money and do the right thing. Nor is it a gospel where I just want to get me saved so I can take them to heaven. God says, no, I want to save you, and I want to make you, and I want to create in you a clean heart so that you can be my workmanship, so that you can be useful to me. So that's the full plan of God. Number one, the problem. You and I and others were dead spiritually. What does it mean to be dead spiritually? It means to be unresponsive to God's truth. The condition apart from Christ is that we were, as the text says, we were in trespasses 
and sins. We see this in verse 1, right? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. To trespass or to transgress means to willfully disobey and disregard God's boundaries and laws. We're born with this. We willfully disobey and disregard God's boundaries or laws. What is sins? Sins are missing the mark, striving religiously and striving morally. See, Paul had a, he was writing both to the Gentiles and the Jews, and to the Jews, the Gentiles were really messed up because they didn't even know the law. But see, but the Jews themselves were striving to be moral and religious. Kind of like how today some of us were striving to be moral, we're striving to be religious. We're putting on a hard hat mentality. Others of us are just totally disregarding. And so you would say, well, which one is worse? Well, one is a trespass and one is sinning. And it's all bad. So those are things the enemy within. When Paul was thinking about this as he wrote in Romans chapter 7, he said to himself, like we should come to the conclusion, a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this dying body. Hard truth. We don't like to look at ourselves like this. But this is the natural condition we are born into. We're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. This is the spiritual Condition. I know Mary J. Blige talk about reminisce on the time we had, but we need to reminisce on the bad condition we were in sometimes. Yeah. Isaiah 59.2 says this, 59 and 2, but your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. That's what iniquities do. That's what sins do. It, it brings a barrier between you and your God. And your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. John 9, 31, for God does not hear sinners. I know, hard truth, does God not hear? Only the cry for his mercy and salvation, but other than that, God's mercy and grace is distributed, but he's not, ask, he's not answering the prayers of those who have no relationship. Cool God? No. God is holy. And in fact, God does us a favor by keeping distance from us while we're so sinful. Because his holiness would have to consume. So that's the enemy within causes us to have barriers with God. But also, we see in our text, there's an enemy without. Yes, there's the enemy and he's in a me, but there's also an enemy without. Verse 2 says it like this. We lived according to the ways of this world in according with the ruler and the power of the earth. World here means the moral and ethics that make sense to this world. The world promotes an antichrist agenda that saturates minds and laws. The world, to the world, people are consumers and we're objects, consumers and objects. In our world, there's an influence, and they're called influencers. Some of the most wretched people have the most influence. <laughs> five million followers to hear foolishness, but five million people like the foolishness. And I don't know if some are in here, but now. Nah. I'm, I'm just an advocate against social media. I'm just old, that's all. 
But there's a culture of this world promotes not reconciliation, but unforgiveness and strife. Let's hold on to unforgiveness. They did it to you, you have a right. You're justified to be angry at them. You're justified if somebody take your daughter like how they say, taken, so I'm going to kill about 50 people now. I kind of empathize with them, but my Lord. Then we have in our world, we, we call it love. The love that is absent from truth. I love you so much that I'll allow you to stay in your mess. You know, it's amazing how when I was a Christian and I backslid from the Lord and I went back to the hood and they loved me so much that they let me stay in a trap house with them getting high all day. My Christian brothers didn't love me that much because they was calling me, telling me to come out. But that's not love. Love speaks truth. Even when it hurts, not just rag, not just, come on, you need to do it, but lovingly pleading. That's what God does. He pleads with us. Isn't that something? Though our sins be as red as scarlet, God pleads with us. We live in a tear down culture. Let's tear people down instead of building them up. This is what the culture promotes, the world. And in fact, there is, the world consists of many ways to go from God. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. Millions of destructive ways, some don't look destructive, just choose one. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. This is a contrast between the ways in which we can go down paths that don't lead to Christ. And then there's a path that Christ has for us. It's not about urban, it's not about rural, it's not about country, it's not about hip hop. It's about the road that leads to destruction. And it's wide. Then we have in our verse, the prince and the power of the air. This is the enemy without. Satan himself. Now, I don't know all about his business. I'm not ignorant to his devices. I don't know how he operate in the air. Principality, spiritual wickedness. I do know and sense when I go to St. Louis, even in this city, it's different. The principalities and the spiritual wickedness is different when you're riding through Atlanta. And I'm not trying to paint a grim picture. I know it's beautiful out and people are jogging and things are looking good in, in a lot of nice houses. But I'm telling you, there's some spiritual wickedness going on. Now, when I get when we were riding to Detroit, it looked a little different. The oppression. And as soon as we were pulling in, it was like, whoa dispensaries, I mean, 20, 20 billboards about weed dispensaries, and it's looking crazy around here. This is what I do know. I don't know much about his business, but this is a verse that captures what he does. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3 says this, the God of this age, meaning world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He blinds our minds, or the minds of unbelievers. Paul goes on to say, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He blinds our minds and sometimes he uses different things for different folks. It may be money, it may be ambition, it may be gangster stuff, it may be corporate stuff. But he knows how to use whatever is in accord with the inclinations of our hearts to blind our minds from seeing Jesus. It may be intellectualism, but he knows what to do. And we all, in our fleshly deeds and thoughts, it results into one thing. I'm talking all of this is the problem now. Bear with me. Because there's a real problem. I mean, the, the realest of the problems is the fact that we're children under wrath. That's what the text says. It says that we're children under wrath. We don't like to talk about this, but it's in the text and it's in many scripture. Wrath means to swell up. It's God's holy and perfect hatred for evil. And it's not out of control like my wrath, like bullets flying, hitting innocent people. But God's wrath is under complete control, his control, and it's accurate in its execution of the guilty. I just don't think this is where we were now. Wrath. By nature, children of wrath, as the others were, as our text says. Here's a picture that God gives us in John chapter 3, verse 36. Is the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Believe in the Son, wrath removed. Do not believe in the Son, the wrath remains ready to be executed because it's God's holy and righteous anger against evil that comes through us. Not a popular message, is it? Romans 1:18 For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Know what's true, but I'm going to suppress it, play ignorant, like I don't really understand. I, I don't understand it. Understand, but it's more so I want to do what I want to do. And we do it in order to cover our unrighteousness. See, we see here the real problem here in this text. And it's amazing because God's plan is like, he often uses what seems to be the ultimate problem. Like, like the problem I had by being in jail. Like, that's my problem. And I remember being in jail, faced with a murder charge, and I'm like, this is a problem. <laughs> like, this is a problem, for real. You ever had that feeling like, I'm in trouble? <laughs> it's like, this ain't no... And I remember the preacher asked me to read Psalm 51, and as I read it, while I was in the hole, in trouble, and I got to the fourth verse about the third day, and it said, against you and you only have I done evil in your sight, and you would be justified to judge me. 
And I realized by the grace of God, after reading it several days, the trouble that I was in wasn't compared to the trouble that I was in. It's a problem. There's a problem. Our nature is the problem. Our transgressions, our sins. Paul is telling the Ephesian church, all of this was your problem. When in fact, oh, I thought it was just I needed more money. I just thought I needed another house to move out of the hood. No. Then we get to verse 4. Oh, my Lord. But God. Now it's going to get good to you because we live in a culture that's obsessed with butts. But I want you to adore this one here. But God, it's the ultimate contrast. Wasn't but my mama, wasn't but I won the lottery, wasn't but I got a good job. It was but God. The only answer to our problem was but God. Everybody, all of us. Oh, God. But God, just do a study on the butts of God. But God shows it is God who initiates our salvation. Oh, man, we didn't know that. We didn't know, but it was God, Psalm 49 and 15. But God will redeem my life from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. But God, Romans 5, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. But God takes us from wrath to riches. We see it in the text. But God, rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, Mercy is, him being rich in mercy is that he's plentifully supplied without measure, very rich and wealthy in regard to mercy. This ain't no prosperity preaching about God's money, it's about his mercy, which is more valuable than the bread. He's rich in mercy, but it also says in our text that we were saved by grace. Not only is he rich in mercy, but we are saved by grace. I'm in a pre-knowledge time without the text. Listen to the text. He says, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Saved by grace. God's grace is a word that we use all the time, but his grace is God's expression of his goodness toward the undeserving. See, God's grace is so multitude. It, 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 it's in bite-sized chunks in our life before we were saved. See, for me, it, his grace was that muscle-bound dude who picked me up and carried me. I didn't know him. It was God's grace. I've never seen him again in my life. 
I don't know how spiritual was he an angel? I don't know. But what is a muscle-bound dude doing in the hood, picking up a shot dude and taking him a block? And I don't see you no more. But that's what somebody told me. Or what about the preacher? His grace would challenge me to read Psalm 51, the first scripture that I've memorized. The scripture that let me know the trouble that I was in couldn't compare to the trouble that I was in. God's grace is God's expression of his goodness towards the undeserving. This is amazing, y'all, because this grace, this mercy and this grace, according to verse 6, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus can be given, listen to this, it can be given and demonstrated because of what was done to Christ. He can show us grace and mercy. It wasn't, see, it was free, but very costly. See, we got to go back. Let's go back to 1, chapter 1, verses 19 and 21. This is it. See, it's what was done to Christ. Remember when Pastor Carly was talking about the power. Here it is. He says this in chapter 1, verse 19 and 21. This is the definition of grace. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. So what is this greatness? What is the immeasurable greatness of this power to us? Dead makes us alive, conforms us to the image of Christ. Well, he gives us the example of what that power is. And he says he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. So when it says that we were raised with Christ, the same power, this blows me away, the same power that makes us alive that we have access to is the same power God the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead. And he says he did that in verse 21 of chapter 1, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So now he puts us in Christ above the principalities. I know there's a prince in the power of the air, but he, I'm above it now. Now before I was subject to him, now in Romans it says don't let him reign. Don't let him do. See, I remember when me and dudes in St. Louis, we was young Christians, and man, we was on fire. Had our big Bibles, and then we had systematic theology in the other hand. And we discipling and preaching gospel, and then it would come time for accountability. And everybody struggling with porn. I just, I'm, man, I, I tripped last night, I tripped last night all the time and we lick each other wounds to one day my brother came in and he said look I understand something now he said I don't got to do it he said man first Titus 1 and, and, and 9 says this it is the grace of God that has trained us to say no like we can say no why? Because there's a power at work in us. See, that power demonstrated towards us in Christ. Then we see how that power parallels 
the in Christ towards us, the same power that God used to raise him from the dead is the same power that makes us alive. God's grace is a gift that costs everything to, everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. Only thing that we did is we heard. Back in chapter 1, verse 13, when we were dead, God, by his grace, allows us to hear. We hear the gospel of our salvation. <laughs> As Paul is talking about all these things that are going on in the heavenlies, how he prepared beforehand the foundation of the world, then one day, God, by his grace, has someone proclaim, and we hear it, and we believe. But how does it happen? How do we come to both belief and how do we execute that belief? Again, we have to look at this only because of Christ. Romans 3, 24 and 25. Now remember, we have a big problem. And the problem is our sin, our iniquity, and the ultimate problem is God's wrath that remained. And Paul wants the Ephesian church to know what happened to them because he wants them to grow in the gospel. He don't want them to come flippant about what God did. He don't want them to try to go into a whole new theology just to excite them. He wants the gospel to stay primary in exciting them. In a culture where everything have to be new. What's new? What are they saying? What's new? Old truth, continue to pound it and preach it, and it excites us. But there's a word here called propitiation. Now, I'm not, I'm a theological kind of dude, and believe me, I wouldn't, but if it's ever a theological word to know, this is one. And it simply means wrath absorber. See, this is what happens. See, a lot of times in our culture, we wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? And the real question is, why in the world is there any good that come to any of us? Why God don't just take us out? Well, Romans 3, 24 and 25 gives a picture of this. He says, they are justified, mean just as if I did not sin, just as if I did everything right freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Okay, how did you do this, God, uh, Paul? Because in 25, God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. Why? Because God can be accused of being unrighteous. How? If a judge is a judge and you're before a judge or if somebody did something to you heinous, they go to court, the judge knows they did wrong, and they say, I know they did this to you, but I'm going to show mercy and let them go. You'll be like, no! And so this is the accusation against God. He had to demonstrate his righteousness. Why? Because that wrath that remained had to go on somebody. Somebody had to absorb it. And he said, I put him who is Jesus as a propitiation, as a wrath absorber. Take it off of you, put it on him. And he said, because he had to do this because in God's restraint, he passed over sins previously committed. And that's why we don't think sin is so bad, because he's just been passing over them. 
If you don't get executed, if the sin don't get executed, first day I started to sell drugs on the, on the corner, I was nervous. But once I saw that the police ain't gonna lock me up, I get more emboldened. See, we sin and we think sin is nothing because God ain't doing nothing. He's passing over it. The wrath remains, but I'm gonna pass over. I ain't gonna execute today because I'm gonna show him my love and my mercy. And I'll send my son as a propitiation and they'll be preached to him or her. Well, this power is the fuel for the plan as we begin to close. Verse seven in our text, he says, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He wants to make us to display. He wants to display those who have been saved. He wants to make us his trophy. And we'll get to the word workmanship. He said this about Pharaoh. He says in Romans 9, 17, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. We become a display of his grace, his power working in and through us. Broken vessels, or as the scriptures say, earthen vessels. Anybody got treasure in your house? Don't tell me because I'm saved, but I need, no, just joking. Now, 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 you wouldn't put, if you had an old vase that you bought from Family Dollar, would you put your treasure in that? No, it's going in a safe. Well, let me tell you something. God put his treasure in some of the most worst people that he has transformed. He has a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Check it out, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Now we have this treasure in joys of clay so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So that nobody can boast. That's what he says. For you are saved by grace through faith, 8th verse, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. This is his gift. No works that we did. Only what God did. The only thing we had contributed was dead works. The wages that we deserve, when you work, you get wages and you want to get paid. Remember I worked for, remember I worked terror for that soul food restaurant and they didn't have my check. And I was, you know, the flesh was boiling. But I deserve my wages because I worked. Now the Bible says the wages of our sin, we deserve our wages. is death. God, give me my wages. No. We cry for mercy. Don't give me that check. I earned it, but no. He said, okay, you earned it, but everything, I'll place it upon my son. He didn't earn it, but I'll place it upon him and I'll give you what he deserves. That's why we become his workmanship. It emphatically means that on the day you got saved, God put forth his most powerful and most creative effort to make you new. It wasn't no quick work, it wasn't no easy work. It seemed like it to us. 
But God had to do everything in order to save us. Workmanship is peoma, a Greek word. It means we are a creative masterpiece. All of us who are saved, whom God has distributed his immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. So we began to, we are his workmanship. We do good works that point to the worship of God. That is what we do. We created to do them. That's what it says, right? Nine, and not from works so that no one can boast. Ten, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Good works that lead to worship of God. A little beam of light, what we do, leads to the greater light where people don't just applaud us, but they look to God. And we cry out like Psalm 115 and 1, not to us, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. We were dead, we were devious, destructive, maybe even disregarded by men, but we were valued by God. And this plan that God to save us, believe it or not, is not just to make machines or masterpieces to display. His motivation is found in the text. And it says in verse 4, it was because of the great love that he had for us. That was the motivation for God to do what he did. Being outside of Christ and powerless, we said yes to the wrong things and no to divine things. But because we are now in Christ with access to his power, the same power that raised him up from the dead, we can say yes to the divine plan and no to our flesh. See, somebody needs to understand that there is an access to a power that we can say no. And Paul, the beautiful thing about Ephesians is it does this. It it goes into application in chapter four. It says the person that used to steal, get it the fast way, ski mask way. Now they can be givers. The person that used to be loud and boisterous, tearing people down, now use their voice and their gift of words to build up. We can say no to unforgiveness. Because we know we've been forgiven much. 2 Timothy 1 and 9 says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. As I close, let me close with this verse and ask something of you. Romans 6, 12 through 18. Pretty lengthy. Lengthy. Because of what happened, therefore, y'all, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who were alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God's as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. There's an immeasurable greatness of power towards us. We should not sin. And because of this, y'all, Christians' understanding of what God did to us 
we should be the most humble people in the world. There's a, it's an oxymoron and a contradiction to find an arrogant Christian, a prideful Christian, a Christian that looks down on somebody else. Because I found out, man, when I was growing up in school, I, my, my uncle put me in a school, because I grew up in the hood in St. Louis, and my uncle was a professor. He and my father were total opposites. And my father put me in a school, my uncle put me in a school called Clayton, Clayton School District, one of the most richest districts in St. Louis. Am I right, Elder? And I went there, man, I thought I went to heaven. I mean, we, I live with roaches and man, I mean, me and my sister, I, and I'm like, this is crazy. Like how, like my friend had 10 bathrooms in his house. And I was like, man, 10 back. I said, I'm going to use, I stayed for the summer. I'm using every bathroom. <laughs> Just to say, I'm like, why y'all got 10 bathrooms? The elevator. I'm like, this crazy. And I thought that because they had wealth, that everything was cool. Come on, Come on, but living with them over the summer, I realized everything ain't cool with the wealthy. Because at night, his mother used to have to come to her son crying because daddy won't come home and he with his mistress. Or the brothers, like me and my sister, we used to fight, right? Because she would take the last of the hamburger and make one, knowing it's enough for two and I don't got no burger. And I'm like, hey, we got to go at it. I'm sorry. <laughs> they up here arguing, they hearts, because... One of the sons get a, 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 a 5.0 Mustang and the other one got a Porsche. Why I didn't get a Porsche? Fighting. Because the nature is the same, just different stuff. We should all be humble, though, because we realize wherever we are, where we was up and out or down and out, we unify. That's why in chapter 4 it talks about the application, humble and unity. Why, how can you have unity? Because now we quickly forgive one another for offenses. We work it out. We want justice, but now we don't take justice without reconciliation. Yeah, I want to know that you are wrong and there is a wrong and right, but come on. But regardless of that, let's reconcile. So with this said, you can stand to your feet and come, but, but, but this was all written, listen, this was all written to believers just so they could understand what the Lord had done growing in the gospel. And for every one of those believers that Paul wrote to, they had a but God moment. Some people are sitting here who have had not had a but God moment. It's not like it has to thunder. It's not like something tragic. You don't have to get shot in the streets to have a but God moment. But by the grace of God, God can open up your ears and you can through a broken vessel, a cracked pot, you can understand your, your problem. And it ain't school tuition. It ain't what classes that I'm not getting in. It's not the new contract. There's a problem, and the problem is there's real separation between you and God. And the reality is, is that our arrogance and in our pride and in our fortitude, our human fortitude, will go ahead trying to deal with all of these problems, and then 
realize that the problem is I need God. We don't have to leave here with that problem. You don't have to leave here with the wrath remaining over your head. It can be removed and you can have new life in Christ. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.